0: <Nicly> <Nicly> Namo Tasa Bhagavato Allahato Sama Namo Tasa Bhagavato Allahato Sama Namo Tasa Bhagavato Allahato Sama Sambuddhasa Bodhang Dhammang Sankhang This is the final talk of the, the range Retreat this year. Uh, even though there is a sort of, I should point out, keep on remembering there is a few days left and even when the range Retreat finishes, uh, the practice only finishes uh, if there is no more for you to do, if there is uh, the attainment of Arahat. So there is still work to be done and sometimes uh, it's good to understand what the goal is of Arahat. Throughout this retreat I've been talking about the uh, the practice, the path and sometimes it's good to know about the goal as well. However, uh, you have to start with the practice and make much of that practice because uh, the path is uh, a very good description of the goal. It is uh, why that uh, in that verse of the Dhammapada I like to keep on quoting the one which starts nati jhana ngapanyasa panya ajayato and says no jhana without panya, there's no panya without jhana. And it continues, which is the uh, part I want to stress uh, this evening. That yam hi japanya cha, in the one who has both jhana and panya, sawe nibbana santike, that they are in the presence of nibbana. In a person who has the experience of jhana, and who has a degree of wisdom, the Buddha is saying here, this is the Buddha's words in the Dhammapada, they are that close, they are in the presence of Nibbāna. And it is why that I stress the, the practice, or rather the experience of, of jhāna, because that experience you are, as the Buddha says here, in the presence of Nibbāna. There's something there which if you can see with wisdom, with Pāṇya, will give you the the insight, the understanding of the core of this thing we call Buddhism the understanding of Nibbāna itself. And that should make you a stream winner. And that should begin the whole process which unravels Samsara, which leads to Parinibbāna, the ending of all this. Even though that sometimes uh, people might feel frustrated at the end of a retreat if they haven't achieved these great things called jhanas, Some people do achieve these things. The ones who didn't achieve them last year are the ones who achieve them in future years. I have to keep stressing that this is a natural process. As long as you keep building the foundations, then the results happen. It doesn't depend upon you, because in truth you are not there at all. It's just cause and effect. Is plain conditionality and all the ideas of I can do and I can't do are all part of delusion, of awija. So to have the confidence that it can be done, that it will be done, is one of the important teachings which I try and present here. Also by setting the standards so high to achieve jhanas, to achieve maghapala, to, to achieve arahat, by setting that standard so high, you find that even those with weaker meditation, they get pulled along, that their striving uh, becomes more focused. When you set high standards, even those who don't reach those high standards will still travel further on the path than if one set just low, ordinary standards. I've been, this is my twenty-fourth rains retreat as a bhikkhu. I had to think the other day exactly how many it was. It gets to a time, remember the early years I used to count every one very carefully. It gets to a time now when you get a bit confused whether it's twenty-three, twenty-four or what. But in those years that I've seen that sometimes because monks haven't uh, got good samadhi yet, that the whole ethos of the monastery changes to be more external, more involved with the world. And because of that change in the ethos of the monastery, they don't get samadhi, it's one of these vicious circles as they say. But here, (coughs) we try and give all the opportunities to give the seclusion, to give the support, to give the encouragement to achieve these things. As I say, it's only a matter of time if you put forth the effort by following the instructions. It's only a matter of time before these things occur and happen. So even though that you may have not got to fourth jhana this range retreat, still the very fact that you have been uh, aiming high will mean that your meditation will have progressed much further than otherwise. And sometimes the progress of your meditation can sometimes be hidden to you. Sometimes because again of delusion we cannot see just how this whole process is working and how the seeds are growing. Using the simile of seeds which grow under the ground you cannot see them working, you cannot see them growing. It's only when they burst through the surface that you see that all this time there was progress, but you missed it. In my life as a bhikkhu I have seen that. Sometimes I thought that I was even wasting time. Sometimes I thought that I was gaining nothing from the meditation, from the place, from the practice. But in retrospect from the perspective of 24 years as a biker, you look back and see many of the things which I did, which I thought were, were not really gaining very much, were all part of this path, were all building up the causes which give rise to the beautiful effects. So never underestimate yourself, and also never underestimate how close you are to these things. It surprises people when they first get jhanas. There's a word that comes out of the blue. They, sometimes they're sitting there, and sometimes it's not the best meditation, or they don't think it is. And suddenly something happens. Just until you really know these jhanas, until you really know the experiential Dhamma, sometimes you miss. The fact that very often you're just so close, as if you walk past the door and all you need to do is just to stop and turn a little to the left or a little to the right and there you can go in. That's sometimes what jhana is like. But <coughs> I mention a lot of jhanas, I talk a lot about it simply because, as I mentioned at the beginning, it has a taste of nibbana there, a the taste of, of things stopping. Emptying, freeing. As I was saying last week, bring up the theme, the idea, the mood of Viwaka, Viraga, Niroda and Wosaga, these four things on which the seven wings of enlightenment or the seven factors of enlightenment, the bojanga, are based. The we of aloofness and seclusion, we raga the fading away. Niroda cessation, Vosaga well, giving away. Very often they have that series from Yatha Yana Dasana, from seeing things as they truly are and gives rise to Nibida, this thing where the mind literally is repelled away from the world. Just as if magnets of the same pole meet together, there's that repulsion there, that force which literally takes you off the wheel of samsara which gives rise to viraga, the fading away, the dispassion which gives rise to Nirodha, things ceasing, ending, finishing which gives rise to Nibbana as we just chanted, as I pointed out many times <coughs> we chanted in the Ratana Sutta Yatayang uh, padipo was what the phrase said, just as a, as a, as a lamp where the flame goes out. Ignibanas. The, the bhikkhuni, Kisa Gotami, was watching a candle. A wind came and blew the candle out. At that point, she saw the Dhamma. That going out the stopping, the emptying, that is the Amata Dhamma. Sometimes uh, I always prefer the Pali words for such things because the Pali is much closer to the, the deep meaning. Sometimes, that we, like the word Amata, we always translate this by this, this word deathless these days and it's not a very good translation, I was contemplating that this afternoon. Instead of deathless, no more dying. Amateur, no more dying. The deathless almost sounds like a place of immortality, like a Christian heaven realm. But the amateur Dhamma is the no more dying Dhamma. Where all death, with its attendant old age and sickness, has finally been overcome, ceased, vanished faded away. It's been viragad, nirodad, nirbhanad, to use anglicisms of Pali words. This is the end of that. It's always worth keeping in mind the legend of the Lord Buddha. Where did he start from? He started from the quest to try and (coughs) end this whole cycle of death to get out of samsara, to free oneself from this prison of being born, getting old, getting sick and dying. To the point where the Four Noble Truths began with that the truth that birth, old age, suffering and death is dukkha. And trying to find an end of that, birth, old age, suffering and death where there's no, or rather, (coughs) the end of dying, the end of being born, the end of getting old and getting sick. That was the quest, and that's where he found, and that's what is called the Amata Dhamma, the end of dying, the end of being born. And (coughs) that's made very clear with that beautiful answer of Venerable Sariputta, when he was asked by the Brahmin, what in brief is dukkha, what is sukha?" It's a very succinct formulation of the half of the Four Noble Truths, first and the third truth, where he said, being reborn is dukkha, ending rebirth. That's amata dhamma, that's happiness, that's the end of suffering. And it's good to be able to understand this, what the goal is. Because if the goal is trying to achieve something, trying to get somewhere, then you find that that is just circling around samsara again, trying to get to some heaven realm, trying to get to some place where there's no suffering, but where you can still have a good time. Such a, a quest will always and not lead away from the amateur, dhamma. Whatever is born must die. So you have to get to a place where these things cease and fade away and disappear. Not where things are born, but where things cease. So Nibbana is never born. Nibbana is the result of things fading away and ceasing. It's an ending rather than a revealing. And to be able to achieve this, to be able to get to these places, we do need the deep experiences of jhanas. One, to be able to see in our own experience a cessation, a cessation of the five senses. To be able to see deeply into the heart of this engine which keeps us attached to the wheel of samsara, which keeps samsara turning this engine of the jitter of the mind. And also to after those jhana experiences to be able to use that state where the five hindrances are overcome, to be able to see just the whole workings of this, to be able to see such things as the kilesas, the defilements, and the asawas. We all know the word for the kilesas, the loba dosa moha, and loba and dosa, sometimes we think we know. Sometimes we think we know the five hindrances. But it's interesting that only after you've experienced the very good jhana, and you know that mind afterwards, that clear, powerful, penetrating mind, only then do you know what it means to be free from the five hindrances. That mind after jhana is very different than the ordinary mind is very different even than the mind just before you get into jhanas. Sure enough, the mind just before jhanas is free from the five hindrances. But the depth and the power of that freedom is very different. There's a freedom beforehand, but the five hindrances can very easily, very quickly come up again. After the jhanas, the five hindrances, as I said to someone earlier this week, have had their teeth kicked in they can't bite you, it takes a long time for them to get themselves together again and exert control and power over the mind. And it's overcoming these five hindrances, not just for a few moments but for a long period of time, is the means to see the Dhamma. Once those five hindrances are overcome, after a jhana, that is a time to really look at the Dhamma. The Dhamma, as I was mentioning some time ago, is one single thing. In Pali we call it Yonisa kara. and I always prefer the literal translation, the work of the mind which goes back to the source of things, the origin of all this, the Dhamma of all this, the core of this whole thing. Lobo and So, loba and dosa are not the core, the core of this is moha, Awija, the delusion which keeps this whole wheel of samsara going. That's where nibbana is is realized, that's where enlightenment is achieved, in focusing on the delusion and uncovering that which you could not see before that which you never realized before, that which was beyond you, covered by the five hindrances, covered by the conditioning of this process of delusion. Delusion itself is a process and to to cut the circuits of that process, you do need the abandonment of the five hindrances for a short while. The Buddha did say that Awija has a nutriment of the five hindrances. This is a food which keeps the Awija strong and healthy. It is why that when the five hindrances have been abandoned, not just for a few moments, you can go without food for a few moments. Some monks have been going without food for quite a few days now. But to be able to end Awija, you need to go without food for a long time. And I don't mean physical food, I mean the food of the five hindrances. To starve Awija. And how that happens is you find out what is causing all of this. What is causing this loba and dosa, this what we call here greed, hatred, attachments. Some years ago I gave a, a simile of attachment of a hand which goes to pick things up. Certainly in my early years of a, as a monk I knew that attachment was wrong as it were. Basically that was the attitude I had. It was something I shouldn't do, something which was inappropriate for a monk but I didn't really know why. And you try to give up attachments. You try and give up one thing and then you'd be attached to something else. And it was like a hand which picks up one thing and plays with it and realizes it shouldn't be doing that and puts it down and goes and fiddles with something else. And I started to think that it is the very nature of a hand to pick things up. If you have a hand, it will grasp. The problem is not with the objects out there. The problem is with the hand which does the grasping. The problem is not with the delicious food. The problem is not with beautiful women, beautiful men. It's not with ideas and thoughts out there which people also grasp and sometimes even make love to. The problem is with this thing which does all of this. And it's because the attention is to what's done. Rather than to what's doing this, the people miss the the doer, the builder, the creator of samsara. I gave another simile, which is very apt. It is like experience being the uh, the action on a cinema screen. And to get to the source of this, instead of looking to the ca- at the characters and the events played out in that movie which we call experience or life to follow where are these images coming from and to follow that back to the projector to the source of this movie of the six senses. Find out what that hand is which keeps on picking up these things which picks up birth and leads to another whole life again When the five hindrances are overcome, you go back and what is doing this picking up? What is doing the thinking? What is doing the knowing? Where is the origin of all this? And you start to go further and further back into experience, centering, going inwards rather than going outwards. Going outwards is called Papancha, proliferation. Going outwards is like the asawas, this word asawas I always prefer the idea of going out into the world rather than going inwards to the source. It's like instead of following a stream along the current downstream, streams which go downwards they make bigger streams and then into big deltas and it gets more and more complicated until it goes into the most complicated thing of all, the ocean. In some religions they think that that's the the end, just going into the ocean. I prefer to look upon this whole path of going against the current, going upstream to the source, the spring which gives rise to this whole system of rivers, which we call samsara. And that spring, that source of all this, is a delusion of self. The thing which thinks I am, that I do, that I have, that I control, is that illusion of atta which is the, the core of all of this. I was reading the little paper by Benelton Isera recently and uh, talking about the, <laughs> the path and uh, I've just forgotten that bit of train of thought so I'll just leave that for a little while. Go to the core of all of this, like the, the an- anatta, because once <laughs> there is a delusion of self, from that comes a having to do, having to know, having to possess, once there is a hand, there will always be some picking up. And it's that seeing that core and seeing that that core is completely empty. There is nobody in here. There is nobody doing. There is nobody acting. There is nobody possessing. If you can actually see that to the very, very core and understand that sabbe dhamma anatta, that all Dhammas are anatta. Uh, I remember now the point I was uh, trying to make with Venom Nisaro's work. He was discussing about uh, a comment people have made about what is special about uh, Buddhism or the Buddha's teachings. Certainly jhanas were in other people's teachings. And he was arguing against the commonly held idea that vipassana was original to Buddhism. But actually if you think about it, other teachings also contemplated, also observed, also gained insights from what they observed. The whole, even Christian monastic tradition, Christian monastic tradition is very contemplative. And they too get insights and understandings. Whether it's the, even the Islamic contemplative tradition also gets many great insights, let alone the Hindu traditions. But what is special to the Buddhist tradition is not even dhamma Anattā, because even many Christians understand that a lot of this is not a self, it's not me, not mine. I say what was special for the Buddha's enlightenment was when he put the word sabbe in front of all of these. When he said sabbe dhamma anatta that all dhammas are non-self, that all sankharas are suffering, that all sankharas are impermanent. That word all is where we go to the very heart of this thing we call existence and we see it's completely empty completely void all is left there is just cause and effect it is because of not seeing that that we do have the delusion of self from that delusion of self we get the whole workings of the what's called the vipolasa These are the the things which bend all of our cognition, all of the way we understand. Sometimes people ask, what actually is wisdom? What wisdom is, (coughs) is wisdom which acts on these three levels. What is wisdom is the wisdom which has a very clear understanding that sabbe sankara Anicha sabbe-sankara-dukha, sabbe dhamma anatta. that which knows that all things, all compounded things, are suffering and are impermanent, all, which knows that all dhammas are anatta. There is no self, no essence to be found in any of this and which perceives that, and which even thinks in those terms. The Whipalazas are the very beautiful teaching of the Lord Buddha which explains (coughs) the Awija, which explains delusion, which gives it a, a structure which opens out the core of the problem. And the ending of Awija explained by the Whipalazas shows very beautiful, beautifully how this whole process of delusion unravels. If you contemplate for a few moments, you'll see just from views, from your understandings, you perceive accordingly and from those perceptions you build up your thoughts and from those thoughts you reinforce your views. This is a a cycle, a circle, which goes round and round, which feeds on the previous term, from views come perceptions, from perceptions, thoughts, from thoughts, views. And it's a circle which is hard to break if you still have a self-view in there a me or a mine, you will actually perceive in that way and you will think in that way. What are the perceptions and thoughts which show there is a view of a self there? It is that perception (coughs) which finds delight in this world. From the delusion of self comes craving. Once you have a hand, you'll pick things up. The very perception which makes you pick things up, which makes you think that this will be delightful, this is good. That which chooses the many perceptions which are on the shelf, that comes from view. Why is it that some people go to the shops and they buy one particular brand of soap powder? It's because the view that that washes whiter. That's why. Why do you per- take up different perceptions? When a, a man sees a beautiful girl, why do they always take up the perceptions of the beautiful part of that woman rather than their ugly perceptions? It is the view that there is pleasure to be found in that world. And That's why they choose those perceptions. If someone is a misogynist, if they hate women, if they see a beautiful woman, they'll straight away take up the, the unpleasant perceptions. And they'd hate that person. If that was a man looking at his ex wife, <laughs> they'd take up the horrible perceptions. Again, it's just those perceptions are coming from view. From what basically what you want to f- see, what you want to find. Many of the arguments in the world, even the arguments in the monastery, different perceptions which arise, where are they coming from? Why is it that two good monks can hear the same argument or the same statement and remember different things? Why is it that people think that we don't understand each other? Because we're palazas. Different views create those different perceptions. It's why that with jhanas you are actually working with perceptions, you're playing with them. And in playing and working with these perceptions, you're uncovering how malleable they are but also how unreliable they are. Too many people in the world believe implicitly in their perceptions. They think that what they perceive is so basic that it must be true. But it's not. Even your very perceptions, as the Lord Buddha pointed out, your basic perceptions already the defilements have been at work. What you hear right now is not what I'm saying. What you hear has already been filtered. That's why the Buddha could teach the Dhamma and people would not be able to understand or even become enlightened. The Buddha taught perfectly but before it was perceived it was already bent by defilements. That's the problem. And from those perceptions we get all our thoughts and we get into big arguments how often have I said here, do not believe those thoughts, do not stake your fortune on these thoughts, you would only lose it all, it is so unreliable, uncertain. The person knew where these thoughts came from, built up of perceptions, they would never take them so seriously, and these thoughts like clouds in the sky, that's all. If they didn't take them so seriously, they wouldn't oppress you throughout the day. They would not disturb your meditation. The absence of oppressive thoughts is called the silence in the mind. We're just uh, mentioning a sutra on Monday which mentions Santa Muni, just a silent sage one who is quiet inside. Why is there such a thing as a silent sage? Where is that silence coming from? It's because the realization of the uncertainty, unreliability, inaccuracy of all thinking. Whatever you think it is, it will be something else. Buddha's beautiful saying in the Sapuri Sutta of the Majjhima Nikaya that's how unreliable thinking is, it's based on those perceptions. And from the thinking we create all our views, supporting our views, reinforcing our views. (coughs) That is called the Whipalazas. In particular, the Buddha said, it's the idea of a self. If we have an idea of a self, we perceive. We can't help it. This is not a conscious decision which we decide to do or we don't decide to do. It's a conscious thing that we look or perceive rather in terms of me, mine, a self. It feels that way. People say, I exist. Because we perceive it, it's just so clear. There's something there. And because of that, you build up this whole world of thoughts, my thoughts, my ideas. That's why they're true, because they're mine. This is, and this again just reinforces the view. This is hard to stop. When you can, once you start doubting perceptions, start at that point to try and cut this whippelazas. Cut the perception, the reliance on perception. Sometimes people use these perceptions and they say, this is the way things are. This is not, this is the way they seem. This is the way you've chosen to look at the world. Cut that. Go to unreliability, uncertainty. Sometimes it's fearful uncertainty people always want to know because knowledge what they take to be knowledge just confirms their self create that uncertainty in your perception in your thoughts and in your view and you have an opportunity to be silent to be at peace and to gain jhanas to gain a jhana temporarily you have to abandon the view and perception and thought of self. That's one of the reasons why it's it's good practice to do jhanas, to weaken that vipalaza which runs around the self. Because to gain a jhana, the doer has to stop. You can't perceive in a sense of, this is mine, that <coughs> I'm doing this, that I've created this. You have to completely get out of the way and the quicker you get out of the way, the deeper in meditation you go. So you have to break this at perception. And once you can break this at perception, it will completely undermine all your thoughts, it is why so often after a jhana, you just, you can't think. It doesn't make any sense to think. And because you've broken the perceptions and the thoughts you have a chance to break the view of a self. To be able to see something you've never seen before. To see deeper. To see to the very bottom. The Lord Buddha gave the beautiful simile of the The body of water. It's only when that body of water is absolutely still, the person standing above can see all the pebbles and gravel at the very bottom. You've got to be able to see through this jitter, this mind. In that simile, the body of water, the lake is a jitter. You've got to be able to see through it right to the very bottom. The gravel and the pebbles, the cause and effect, which is all that is there. The water itself is just transparent, sunyata, nothing there. To be able to break that illusion of self is the achievement of stream entry, or rather stream winning, sotapanna. That's where. The perceptions and thoughts and the views have been broken temporarily but the view has been broken forever. One will never have that idea that there's anything permanent, that there's anything which is always going to be lasting. Instead of a deathless something which is always going to be there, it's beyond. it's finishing with dying ending all of this, ceasing, stopping, going out. There's five candas, the Lord Buddha said, it's all is there. It's interesting, I was remembering today that when I was uh, studying the Vinaya years ago, I thought what I actually came across in uh, the TS bookshop of all places in Perth, a translation of the Jaina scriptures. And I thought that the Jain, Jaina religion being uh, occurring at the same time as as Buddhism, that they might have a very similar Vinaya. So I got those translations, I think they're in the library still here, in order to sort of get some idea of how the Jaina monks practiced. But I also noticed in there just the teaching of the Buddha as described by the Jains. It may not be absolutely accurate, but it's worthwhile considering that how the Jains remember the, the Buddha teaching and how they objected to it was when the Jains said, Gotama or the Summoner Gotama, he teaches that there's just the five canons and nothing else. And the Jain has said, how stupid that is. It records the, how other sects Remember the teaching of the Buddha, and I think it was an accurate, te- accurate memory, accurate recording. Buddha was teaching is just these five and nothing else. Parinibbana, they go out, they cease. Sometimes people don't like to accept that. Sometimes it's fearful, and that's understandable. That's the problem, the fear the lack of understanding. That is just the whippalazas moving around in you. That is why you do need deep meditation to see this. It can be easy to explain but hard to accept. Once that is actually seen that there is no one there this stream winner Sotapanna once there is no self there, once the hand has been cut off How will there ever be all this picking up and stuff? Attachment is ended when there's no one on the other end to do the attaching. Once a projector is unplugged, the film is going to come to an end. This is why that one one sees the completeness of non-self. Once one sees what one has been taking to be a self, what one has been taking to be the core, the doer, the knower, once one has seen that is to be a mirage, and see that one was deluded, you know the result of that will be the, the end in nigh. The very cause for craving, has been stopped the illusion of the self means the illusion of things belonging to the self the Lord Buddha said once an ata, is an Atta this Atanyang Atanyang means of me belonging to me concern with me all of the concerns which I have depend on the word I beyond the on of you I once that view eye has been abandoned, cut off, using the Buddhist simile like the top of a palm tree, and can no longer grow again. Once that's been seen, the craving has been undermined. And from that you know, as a certainty because the, the plug has been taken out. The machine has to wind down and come to a stop. The full realization of the illusion of self will give you the sure understanding, knowledge that samsara is coming to an end for these five candors Not only have you seen the end of dying, the amateur, no, not only have you understood nibbana, but you know that this process, the cause and effect, is now going to finish. One lifetime, two, three, seven lifetimes, but it can't last longer. With stream-winner, there is a knowledge of stream-winning. Once the root of uh, moha, that kilesa, Awija has been overcome. Once view has been purified, the perceptions and the thoughts which are based on those views begin to clarify. Instead of the perceptions and thoughts based on me, mine, or self, the perceptions and thoughts of just an empty process take their place. Instead of perceptions and thoughts which like to gain and control, comes the perceptions and thoughts of letting go, of fading away, of ending, stopping. Once anatta is seen, the role of jhanas is very clearly perceived. As a very part of Nibbana, as a reflection of Nibbana, Understand why the Buddha called jhanas, Sambodhisukha, the bliss of enlightenment. There is something in those jhanas which is very similar to Nibbana. The bliss of ending, the bliss of not owning, the bliss of not controlling, the bliss of not being, the bliss of ending, of giving away, of ceasing. The bliss of disappearance, the bliss of emptiness, the bliss of nothingness, the bliss of no more dying, no more being born, none of this. The release from the world, the release from dukkha. There is something which is very similar there, and it needs to be noted. Anyone sees that From that view, the perceptions and the thoughts will start to change. It's why that sometimes I describe that as a change in your whole personality. Because it comes on the depth of view and affects your perceptions and your thoughts. The way you you really look at the world. The way you react to it. The way you look at the world and react to it should have really said the way the process looks at the world, the way the process reacts to it. You're just, As it were, just a process, going through the motions of cessation. It's why you see Arias, and there's something very similar to Arias. Same process, which has happened thousands, hundreds of thousands of times. One of the books we have up here is that manual of a mystic, which begins, it's a very good meditation, preparation for each one of us. I mentioned it in an earlier talk, some years ago, it mentions that since the time of the Lord Buddha, there hasn't just been one arahat or a hundred arahats, or a thousand, but tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of men and women have become arahats. ended samsara. Remember that at the beginning of your meditation. And that just puts you in the perspective of this whole process. And all those hundreds of thousands of women and men arahats throughout that time, at certain stages in their process, they felt, thought, perceived, acted just as you are thinking, acting, perceiving, right now. You're just part of this process. And in who knows how long time, that you will be one of those many hundreds of thousands of arahants. It's a process, that's all. It inspires and gives you that feeling of the power of freedom the power of this process leading to freedom. When those perceptions and thoughts start to purify, when there's no sense of me, mine, self inside, craving starts to go. Wanting things, wanting delight in the world. There's no one in here to want that delight. When you look and perceive and think in terms of non-self, it undermines all wanting and craving. The beautiful food in front of you, who's eating it? It's just a mouth eating it, that's all. Who's tasting it? It's just brain, if you like tasting it, or that sense of taste. That's all. If you could look at it upon that way, there'd be no craving. That's why the Buddha said to Bahia. In the tasting, just let there be taste. Not I tasting food. Once there is that (coughs) experience of non-self, not just playing around and imagining and thinking, okay, in the tasting there will just be the tasting. In the seeing there will just be the seeing. I'm just the same as Bahia. Now I'm talking about realizing this, to the point that when you are tasting, that's all there is, just taste. When there's a seeing, the thinking, the talking, the listening, the coming, the going, that's all there is, just that. All perception, all thought, seeing this is just process wearing itself out. And there, there will be no craving. In particular, there will be no craving which is going to give rise to new rebirths. What's there to be reborn for? What's there? to be reborn. The delusion has been overcome. That sense of attaching, picking up things. The very cause of rebirth has been eradicated. Once in yourself you see that the cause has been eradicated. You know that cause. And you know it's been worn out through wisdom then you know there's no more birth there's no more old age and death the samsara has been ended then you know that you are Arahat the cause has been seen the cause has been stopped this is our goal, this is how it's achieved, won't achieve it straight away, it's a process, it will take its time, but this evening have that confidence and the faith, that's all it is, it's only a matter of time, and it's not up to you at all, unfortunately you've got no choice in this, that's why I often say, the idea Oh, I'm going to pull off my enlightenment to help other beings. I'm afraid, I'm sorry to say this, but it's not up to you. You've got no choice in the matter. It's a process which actually is already underway. Those seeds are already being planted and you're not going to be able to weed them out. Knowing that much should give you great peace and happiness. For those of you who have enough wisdom to know the suffering of this existence. It's futility, it's disappointment and frustration. Sometimes we think the disappointment and frustration is because of this monk or that monk or because of my body or my illness or the heat or the cold or the whatever. But know that that frustration, disappointment, that pain in the body and the mind, that samsara, welcome to samsara. If you want to get out of this, don't go blaming other people. Don't go blaming yourself. Just blame the defilements. The Buddha has shown you the cause of all this. Do what the Buddha said. See that cause. It's the sense of self, that delusion. That is what is original to this path we call Buddhism. That what is what separates it, and that's what leads to liberation. When that has been seen, the whole samsara unravels and eventually ends. So hope, my hope for you is not that it will end, because I know it will end, I hope it ends soon. So, that's the talk which I have Given this evening, the final talk for this year's Rage Retreat. Are there any comments or questions? Okay.